It's about 15 years ago or so that Reed and I were in, uh, in Southern California. Uh, and I think I mentioned, I believe it was last week that, uh, that I used to go to a convention out there. So it might have been following, no, I think it was in the summertime actually, but we were out there for a weekend and we decided to take, uh, a friend of our oldest son, Brian, uh, his name was Steve, Steve Tarleton. We decided to take Steve out for, uh, out for lunch while we were there. Uh, so I'd got a hold of Brian, um, and, and, and asked for Steve's phone number or email or something so I could contact him. Steve was a guy that my, my son Brian, when he attended Ozark Christian College, he, he played on the, the basketball team with him. And Steve had, had graduated and moved to uh, Porter's Ranch, California and was on staff, a, a youth minister at a large church or Shepherd of the Hills Church. And, and so, so I, I called Brian and said, Hey, can I get Steve's contact information? We want to take him out to eat. So, so he said, yeah, he got it to us and he said, Hey, I've got another friend that is on staff at that same church. I don't know that you've met him. His name's Caleb, Caleb Kaltenbach. And he said, if you want, you ask and, and you could take him out as well. So, so that's what happened. We got a hold of Steve and said, Hey, we're going to be in Southern Cal, uh, such and such a date and would love to meet you and take you out to eat. And, and Brian said also invite, uh, Caleb, um, to, to come along. And, and so we met them. Do you remember this? We, we met them, I believe on the Santa Monica Pier. And so we're, we arrived and we're standing around looking through all the hundreds of people that were making their way through the pier. And we looked up and I saw Steve and Steve was easy to, to pick up. He, he was about six, five. Um, and is it okay for me to say he was a handsome man? Uh, well, he was a kid, but, uh, as far as I concerned, but he was a man. He, he was a, a handsome dude. Like I said, he played basketball with my, with my son. He, he was six five. I don't know, maybe maybe two hundred, two hundred ten pounds. Built like a rock. Had had a wonderful smile. Great personality. He's the type when he's the type of kid when you walked into a he walked in. I mean, people were just drawn to him. That's so. So I saw Steve. His head was a little bit above everyone else. I saw him, and next to him was was a guy walking that I just had to assume, rightly so, was Caleb, the the, the friend of my son's who I never met. Steve was 6'5 and strapping. Caleb was every bit of 5'6 and unimpressive. Uh, this is going to sound really bad of me, and, but I, I do this all the time, don't I? Huh? I do this all the time, so, so it's okay. You come to expect it. Uh, this is kind of bad of me, but my first impression of, of Caleb was not a good one. In fact, let me, let me give you a mental picture. Now, you can imagine 6'5 strapping, Five six, unimpressive. So, so I mean, that's my first thing. I'm like, whoa, there's a difference there. Um, but, but, but on top of that, Caleb, Caleb was kind of a funny looking guy. This is what he looked like. This is my first impression of him. Um, you, you know the cartoon character Shrek. Some of you watched the cart, or, or, or cartoon or Disney movie, whatever it was. Caleb was kind of a mini me of Shrek. Uh, his eyes were a little too far apart. His ears were kind of funny. Teeth crooked. And I'm, okay, <laughs> just being honest here, honey. That was my first impression of uh, of Caleb. And and you know what I you know what I thought. My first thought was really because uh, Brian said, and I left this detail. Brian had said that he was a campus or he was a college minister. So he ministered to college kids and. And if I'd have picked out which one was college, I would have said it would have been Steve. In fact, I thought, you know, I probably heard Brian wrong. He probably was a children's minister because kids don't care what you look like. And, 
and, and, uh, uh, and, we're, and, and so, so I thought, sure, I got that wrong. So, so we had lunch with him, and, and I, I, I called Brian like the next day, and, and he said, hey, did you take him out? And I said, yeah. And I said, so we met Caleb, and I said, Brian, is he the college minister? And Brian said, oh, yeah. I said, he is doing a wonderful job there. I mean, their college ministry is exploding. And I thought, really? Uh, it was about five years, no, about six or seven years later, I got a, I got a call from Brian, and he said, hey, I'm going to send you a link to a, a podcast. I want you to listen to it. He said, do you remember my friend Caleb? Uh, you and mom took him out to eat in California, and I, I said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I remember him, and, and I did. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he, he said, I'm going to send you a link to this podcast. He's written a book. Uh, a, a book called Messy Grace, and I, I come to find out later on that that he was on this podcast. It was a, a podcast of a radio, Christian radio program, where he was interviewed about his book, and he told his story, and, and he told a little bit more about Caleb. He'd went from college ministry to, to pastoring a large church in Southern California, and then and then to a, a large church in Texas, and then he was back in California again, and, and, and I kept thinking, really? And, and finally, it sunk in. Finally, it it hit me. Um, uh, I'm being honest with you so I can be honest with you. I'm a little slow on some things. It finally hit me that, you know, God doesn't care what you look like and God doesn't necessarily care about what your past was or, or what your talents were at a certain time. God, God calls certain people. And it hit me that God had called Caleb. Maybe, maybe he wasn't 6'5 and strapping. Maybe, maybe he didn't have the best personality, but God called him. And when God called him, God was using him. Someone once said, you probably heard before, it certainly isn't new with me, that God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Now, I, I that's a cool phrase, a cool statement. I actually don't agree with it because God doesn't, doesn't ignore the equipped. God calls the equipped people as well. If you're equipped, God will still call you. But, but God certainly does take people that aren't equipped and helps them become the people that he wants to do. Scripture is full of examples of God calling people that weren't equipped and then using them to do great things. Moses was an example. Now we think of Moses as Charlton Heston coming down from, from Mount Sinai with the, the law in his hand and the staff in his hand. But that, that's not Moses of early in his career. The, the Moses of early in his career was a stutterer. God called him to, to be a mouthpiece and he couldn't even talk. In fact, he said, Hey, I can't talk. Let, use my brother Aaron, which, which God did for a while till he finally convinced Moses that he can use him. God, God equipped Moses to do that job. God ended up after Moses used a man named Joshua. Now we know Joshua, uh, as one of the 12 spies. Remember that story? There were, there were 12 spies. Uh, we know the old song, 10, 10 were bad and two were good. Uh, Joshua was one of those and, and Joshua took Moses' place and he was the man that led the Israelites into the promised land. But I don't believe that Joshua initially was a man that had a whole lot of confidence. And I, and I believe that to be so because God told the Israelites before Joshua took over, God told them two different times that, that as I was with Moses, so I'll be with Joshua. God reminded the people, hey, Moses is gone, but, but I'm with Joshua too. And then he told Joshua at least three times, if not more than that, he said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. If you want to look that up, it's in Joshua chapter 1, the, the first 10 or 12 verses. You'll see that two or three times. He said, said Joshua, be strong and courageous. I think Joshua was anything but strong and courageous. I think 
He was scared to death because he didn't feel like he was equipped. But God used him. We, we see it over and over again. God, God picked some of the, the some of the most uh, uh, under-talented people. He, he, he picked some fishermen, Peter and James and John, Peter's brother Andrew, to, to lead the church. And God equipped them. And, and he took Paul, who had a passion for, for persecuting the church, and Paul actually missed the law, but he, he loved the law more than he did the lawgiver. But he turned his heart around and equipped him to be one that loved people. And, and Paul took a young man named Timothy. If you want to read the books of First and Second Timothy, he took a, a young man who was, was kind of sickly and, and didn't have a lot of confidence in himself. And, and he was young to boot. And God called him to be a pastor of a church and do some great Things when God calls people, He equips them to the to do the job that He's called them to. So I wonder, I wonder if Nehemiah, I wonder if Nehemiah. Now let me give you a little background here. If you weren't here last week, you're thinking, okay, who's Nehemiah and where does this come in? We we started last week a four week series on on Nehemiah. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find that book of Nehemiah. I encourage you if you have your Bibles to to get them out or. If you don't have one, uh, grab one out of the, the pew pocket in front of you. Uh, find the book of Nehemiah. If you can't find it, go to right, dead in the middle. The, the Bible is Psalms. Move back a couple a couple books and you'll find the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. So that's that's kind of where Nehemiah is. So find find the book of Nehemiah. Last week we talked uh, uh, about this Nehemiah. And, and I wonder if Nehemiah must have thought when God called him to do a good work, it, I wonder if he must have thought, really? Really? God, you're calling, you're, you're calling me to do this job, uh, this, this impressive job, this important job, this fantastic job, you're calling me. La- last week we looked at four simple things kind of in the call of, of, uh, of Nehemiah. We, we see, and if, if you look in the first couple chapters, you'll notice this with me that he had a passion, that he found out that 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 Jerusalem was in a state of disrepair, that the walls had been torn down, the gates had been burned with fire, that they were disgraced, that the people were struggling, and and Nehemiah had a passion because of that. We, we see the second thing he did was he prayed. Then he had a perspective. He realized who he was and who God was, and and then what we're really going to look at today was the last point last week is he had a plan. He put a plan into effect and made that happen. I wonder if Nehemiah, when he began to answer that call was saying, really, God, me. And, and, and quite honestly, if you're not asking it, you should. We should be asking the same question. Why, why him? If you look at the text there, uh, it tells you who Nehemiah was. He, he, he was an exile from, from Jerusalem. He was living in Susa. He was a servant of King Artaxerxes. And you know what his job was? He was a cupbearer. He was a wine tester, if you will. He, he took the wine into the king and, and would drink some to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. That was his job. That's, that's who God called to bring back the city of Jerusalem. The, the city that just, just four or hundred or five hundred years later would be the city that Jerusalem, that Jesus uh, stood outside of and pointed to the walls and said, see the massive city, and he, and he cried over that city. It would be that same city with its 
powerful walls and gates that Jesus taught in and ultimately was arrested and, and, and led out to be crucified. Why? Why him? See, God often uses people that, that we wouldn't expect to do great works. God uses people we wouldn't expect to use great works. Let's, let's look this morning just briefly at three keys that we see from this passage. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 and, and keep it open because we're, we're actually going to have, I'm going to ask for some volunteers in a, here in a little bit and I'm going to have some of you read along with me or help me read. So, so Nehemiah chapter 2, let's look at verses 11 and 12. Now this is Nehemiah speaking. So let me give you just a quick background in the first couple chapters or chapter and a half. Uh, Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem was in disrepair. He went to his king and asked basically if, if he could go back and rebuild the walls. The king gave him letters of authority and, and so he could buy the material and let him head back. So, so we find ourselves in chapter 2. Nehemiah has made it back to Jerusalem. There, it says there, it said, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem, there were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. Now, if you if you follow on, I'm not going to read the next verse, but if you follow on in the text, what happens is he is he walks or, or rides and then has to get off his mount and walk around the city of Jerusalem, uh, just surveying the damage, surveying what was going on, surveying, looking at the walls, looking at the gates, seeing what what he was up against. Now, now follow along in verse 17. Then I said to them, he's talking. This is, uh, this, these are exiles that are in Jerusalem. Then I said to them, you see the terror, the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned to fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So we, so they began this good work. Then Sanballat, and we'll talk more about these guys next week. Then Salbalat the Hormite and Tobiah the Amorite official and Geshem the Abrid, uh, the Arab heard about it and they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you re- rebelling against the king? And I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. We're going to look at, at three simple things here this morning. Uh, each of them kind of with a uh, uh, with a, a, a theme of its own, or just a, a point that you need to understand. Here's the first one: that that his work was, and and this is true of us when we do a good work. His work was purpose driven. It was purpose driven. You're filling out your your bulletin. It was purpose driven. Now catch this: it was a very simple purpose. This this is what it was: build the wall. Uh, it, it was. It was single-minded. It was about one thing. It was about rebuilding the wall. Now, I want you to, I want you to notice something that, that we see three times in the text. Look in chapter 1, verse 3. Notice that he points this out over and over and over again. What was going on? What their purpose was? Why he was doing it? Look at verse 3. Those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Follow with me over to chapter 2. Uh, look at verse 3 there. It says, uh, he, he's talking to the king here. said, Why should my face not be sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. 
And, and then look over in verse 17. Let me read that verse again. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. There, there was a purpose. Nehemiah started this good work and it started, it started with a purpose to rebuild the walls. Look in chapter 2, verse 11. We see that God called him. Chapter 11 says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, uh, excuse me, verse 12, I set out during the night with a few men and I told them, uh, I told, I did not tell anyone that my God had put it in my heart to do this for Jerusalem. This was his call to rebuild the wall. God calls God calls his people. God calls his church to do a good work and and it's always it's always purpose driven. At at age 29 he was a millionaire. At at age 29 he was successful beyond all that he could have dreamt. He was a successful businessman, a successful warrior. Life was, was going, going better than he could have even uh, have imagined. But God put a call on his heart. And at age 29, God set into a, into motion a series of events that, that led him first to, to, to a, an area of, of service and then, then to Africa as a missionary and then back to the United States. And, and this young man who was a million, millionaire many times over gave it all up to start a ministry that he thought was key for people. A ministry that, that simply met a, a, a simple need that people had, a, a need of housing. And, and so even though he had millions of dollars, he walked away from it to start a ministry that maybe some of you have helped out with before called Habitat of Humanity. The guy Millard Fuller walked away from it all to begin to build houses for people. And why? Why did he take a lawyer to become a missionary? Why did he take a, a businessman to build houses for people that couldn't afford it? Why? Because God called him to that. Church, my... Uh, I mentioned this last week. My prayer for, for us as a church, my prayer for you as individuals is that God will call you to build walls. That God will call you to build walls. Now, now he's not, not going to call you to go to Jerusalem and build a wall. Uh, in fact, in fact, the wall is probably not even going to be a wall. God may be calling you to build walls in relationships or God may be calling you to be, to build physical walls of a house or, or, or build Build spiritual walls in someone's life who's fallen apart or, 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 or to build a wall within, within the church to encourage and say, I have no idea what the walls might be, but I believe that God has called us to build walls. And, and my prayer is that we as a church and that we as individuals feel God's call to build walls. See, see, God always uses the unexpected person to do great things and it's always purpose driven what is God calling you to what is what is the dream that God's putting on your heart to make a difference 
And, and maybe you're like Nehemiah. Maybe you're saying, me? I'm just a cupbearer. I'm just a wine tester. God, how can you use me? But God calls his people and uses them. It was, it was, it was purpose driven and it's always people driven. If you have your Bibles, look there in chapter two, uh, chapter two, verse 17. Notice what it says that after he had, he had went around the city, he'd surveyed all the damage. He, he talked to them and, and said, Hey, God's, God's blessed me and God's put this in order. And notice what they say in verse 17. It says, they, replied they replied uh, to get good work done it always takes two groups of people first of all it takes visionaries it takes someone who god places the vision on that there always has to be someone that god calls to be the one in charge that god calls to say have this vision but but nothing gets done if you don't have followers nehemiah was not going back to jerusalem to build the wall by himself he had to have people that shared his vision to get the job done. So, so it's always people driven. And here's a simple thought. Do your job. Do your job. Look with me in chapter three. Let me read there just a couple verses and, and then I'm going to have someone uh, share, share with me there and read. It says, Elijah, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tab, uh, the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated as far as the, the tower of Hanadel. It started with the, the high priest and the religious leaders being the first one to step forward and say, okay, we're going to catch this vision and we're going to start doing something about it. And I, I, I want you to catch this. I'm speaking maybe to a, a small group of people here this morning, a direct group of people, but I want you to notice this and, and catch this idea. The first ones to volunteer, the first ones to join the vision, were the religious leaders. Church, those of you who find yourself in leadership, the first ones that should volunteer when someone has a vision is the leaders. Now, now, now we can't all do everything. I understand that. But, but even when it's not our vision, are you catching that? Even if even if it's not our vision. See, the high priest, the high priest might have thought, man, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I start rebuilding the walls? Why didn't I organize the people? The, 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 the other priests could have got together and one by one think, oh, I should have done that. I, man, my name would have been recorded. I would have had a book in the Bible with my name. But that's not what they did. They, they saw the vision that Nehemiah had and they said, how can we help? So, so, so leadership, let me speak very specifically to you. I, I think the first people maybe that need to volunteer when someone catches a vision in the church is the leaders. Now, now I need someone to, uh, just because I'm, I'm tired of reading, I need someone to read for me. So can I have someone volunteer uh, to read for me? It's, it, it's in Nehemiah. I'm not making anything hard. Okay, Bree. Uh, start in verse uh, 3, chapter 3, verse 3, and read down through verse 5. Not, not very long. Why do you think I didn't want to read it?
Okay, I, actually, I'm, I'm going to let you stop there. Actually, there was a purpose, because I, I didn't want to do that, number one. I, and, and, and go ahead, if you want to, just read through that section and try to pronounce some of those names. But there's a point to that. Those names, and there's there's a bunch, thank you, Bree, first of all, for doing that. There's a bunch of names in there. I've never heard of them before. No one had ever heard of these guys before. Well, maybe their family, but but no one had heard of them. And you know what? No one ever heard of them again, for the most part. You don't see these names. In, 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 in fact, uh, uh, you know, Oliver's a lovely name, but but why didn't you name him Mizpah? Because that, I mean, that just rolls rolls uh, uh, off the off the tongue, doesn't it? Little little Mizpah there. He's a beautiful baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Oliver's great. Let's stay with Oliver. Uh, so we, we, no one knew who these guys were before, and, and no one's gonna remember who they were. Uh, no one names their kids these names. We, we name them David and, and, uh, uh I think, what, Solomon? I guess maybe we named some of them. We, we, we name them Paul, and we name them, we name a lot of other people from the Bible we remember, and we, Name that. We, we have a son named Caleb and we almost named him Joshua. Joshua and Caleb, the two good spies. And, 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 uh, Caleb's middle name's Nathaniel, another Bible name. And, but why don't we do these names? Well, they, they were small characters. No one knew them before. No one knew them after. But you catch this? The wall doesn't get built. The gates don't get repaired. If it wasn't for these guys, if it wasn't for these families coming together and taking a section and taking a section and taking a section and taking a section. Now, and just one more quick thing. Someone read for me verse 14. It's not as hard a verse. It's just one verse. Chapter 3, verse 14. Anyone want to take a stab at that? Rita's got it. Chapter 3, verse 14. Just whatever. <laughs> okay, it had a couple bad names in there. Again, I didn't want to read that. Uh, but did, did you catch which gate it was? The dung gate. Do, do you know, do you want to know why it was called the dung gate? Yeah, you got it right. It was called the dung gate because that's where they took their trash out. All their garbage, including, yeah, went out that gate. Man, I, I would have wanted the fish gate or the Jebunah gate, which meant the old gate or the, uh, underline it, the, the sheep gate or the valley gate or the fountain gate. That meant I, I would want my name connected with that. And these guys got their name connected with the dung gate. Sometimes, sometimes God calls us to stuff that's not all that glamorous. But He calls us. On, on any given Sunday morning, there's someone down in the nursery. Now, we had a little problem today, but we got it covered. There's someone down in the nursery. And they're, 
it, you could liken that to the dung gate. They're having to sometimes deal with that in the nursery and, and screaming kids and upset kids and, and it's hard. And, and on any given Sunday, we have a couple people downstairs that you've released your children to and they're down. I don't hear them, so I guess they're doing okay today. But, but, but that's not an easy job and it's certainly not glamorous. You don't, you, you know, you're not, you're not up in front leading that way, but, but God calls us sometimes to stuff that's not glamorous. But it's important. And, and notice one last thing. If you read through that, that text, you can see it over and over again. As he talked about different ones, the, the next verse oftentimes start out with next to them and the next section and next to him and next to him and beside him. Do, do, do you note that what was going on in this story as they, as they began to work was that there were other people working. What great encouragement there is when we work together. I was, uh, I think I was about 14 years old, and one one night my dad came into my uh, bedroom with my, uh, I was probably about 16, my brother and I were sharing the bedroom, came in and, and he said, hey, tomorrow guys, it was summertime, he said, tomorrow I want you to go out to Nellie's place. Now, that means nothing to you, but that was a, a, a field that my dad farmed. I want you to go out to Nellie's place um, and uh, and walk beans. Now I I had a busy schedule planned for the next day. I was going to sleep in, and then I was going to watch some TV, and and uh, then I was going to take a nap. And uh, but but Dad changed my plans, and so so the next morning, and then he said, and and if you'll get an early start, I think you guys can be done by the time I get off work. Uh, now that field was 600, 800 acre field. It was a huge one. In my mind, now it's probably it was only about thirty acres. It wasn't very big, but uh, but it seemed that big. And, and to top it off, my brother actually had a previous engagement where he couldn't be there right off the bat. So so I got up early, got on my motorcycle, drove out to my grandparents, got in the shed, got a hoe, drove it out to Nellie's place, and I began to walk beans. Anyone here? Anyone here walk beans? I, I know all of our farmer people. Lots of people. I I I, I commented to Larry today I, as we were driving to church. I, you know, you look at fields, there's no weeds in them anymore. But guys, you need to let some weeds grow so you can have this younger generation walk beans so they understand what it's like. So, so I'm walking the beans and my, my dad was a farm, a part-time farmer and, and not, he took as many shortcuts as he could. And so he, he didn't waste money on, uh, 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 herbicides. Is that what kills weeds? He, he didn't waste any money on that because he had two sons. And, uh, and so, so I, I started out walking these beans, and it seemed like it, what, the field was more weeds than it was beans. And, and I bet I worked for, for what seemed like eight hours. Now, it probably was about an hour and a half walking these beans. And, and that field was loaded with, I think it's gypsum, gypsum weed. Is that a, is that a weed that, does it get big and like big old, st- yeah, yeah. It had a bunch of that in it. And I remember hacking on that stuff. And I'm out there working by myself, and I got, I got really frustrated. Let me just be honest with you. Let me be real. I got really mad, and I wanted to cuss. But even back then, I didn't cuss. I was much more mature than that. So I took my hoe, and I took it around my head a couple times, and I threw it as far as I could throw it. And for a second, I felt really good. (laughs) I felt good. And then it's like, crud, i got to go find that hoe now. (laughs) How do you explain to Dad? Well, I got half the field done because I threw the hoe and I couldn't find it. You'll find it when you harvest it, Dad. Uh, but 
I found it, but I, it was about an hour later, my brother Rick showed up from his previous uh, responsibility and started walking the beans with me. And it was amazing how my attitude changed. Now, I still wish I was home watching TV, taking a nap, you know, uh, getting up and relaxing, but but my attitude changed when there was someone with me. It's a good work is always people driven. And and let me close here just one simple thought. It's a key here. It was person driven. Now now look with me in chapter two. Chapter two, verse twenty. It says, I announced or I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. So here's a simple thing. We will succeed. It was driven by the person that did the calls. That did the calls. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, if we keep our eye on the prize, if we keep our eye on the one who's called us to do it, we will succeed. Any of you remember um, uh, or, or know the name Fernando Balanzoea? Anyone know that? Got a couple old people here. Yeah. Oh, Chad, the young guy, knows. Uh, now, you may not remember. What was he known for? I mean, I'll tell you, he was a pitcher for the Dodgers, but but uh, and a good pitcher, but he was known for something in particular, something curious about him. Yeah. Yeah, maybe in that, in, in his wind up, he, and he was a lefty, as I recall, he would wind up and then he would look at the sky, take his eye off the batter and look at the sky before he pitched. He, he was popular just as my, my kids were starting to play baseball. And I, I remember coaching a little league game one time or a practice actually, and one of my boys decided he was going to be Fernando Valenzuela. And he started in his wind-up, and about halfway through, he looked to the sky and almost stood over the backstop. <laughs> Somehow it worked uh, for, for Fernando. In fact, it probably, his whole purpose was to freak out the batters. He's like, he's looking up there, and but we have to keep our eye on the purpose that we're called. And we have to keep our eye on the people that are around us, that are serving with us, and we have to keep our eye on the person that's called us to begin with. God is going to call his people to do great works. God is going to call you to do great things. Will you listen? Millard Millard Filler, uh, who started Habitat uh, through uh, with Humanity, goes on to say this simple thing. He says it's easier to ask, uh, to, let me get it right, it's easier to act yourself into a new way of thinking than to think yourself into a new way of acting. It's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think yourself into a new way of acting. It's easier if we simply say yes and do what God has called us and let that change our thinking. What what is the wall? What is the wall that God is calling you to build? Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that you use regular people, that you use people that uh, that aren't equipped necessarily. Uh, 
Father, that you use people that seemingly have no uh, talent or strength on their own, but you use them for your kingdom. Father, this church is full of Nehemiahs. This church is full of people who who are, are simply waiting to be called. Lord, I, I would pray for two things today. Lord, use our church. Use us as a body to see the needs that you have, the, the good works that you're calling us to. And Father, use us as individuals to see the good work that you've called us to do, to step forward like Nehemiah did and begin the good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning as we sing our hymn of decision? God is calling, God is calling us each to do a good work. What, what is his call to you? I pray that your eyes would be open, your hearts would be attentive to what that call would be.